We are actually in Acts 1. We've done all of our introduction. And now we are in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And that's the title of my message today is to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. That's his ascension. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Lord, please help us as we study your word this morning. What an amazing book of the Bible. What an amazing plan you have had for us. And this really is the beginning of our story. So, Father, please help us as we study your word. Help it to be true. Help what I say to be true about the text. And then, Lord, speak to us through it. Help us to be different. In Jesus' name, amen. So our series through the book of Acts is called The Beginning of Our Story. The Beginning of Our Story. And the church is not over. When Jesus Christ established the church, empowered it at Pentecost, and then ordered, structured, and propagated it through the Apostle Paul, he gave us instructions on what to do. And I was reading my commentary on Acts by John Phillips. And listen to what he said. So look at verse 1 again. The former treatise, Have I Made O Theophilus? Of all that Jesus began, both to do and teach, began. The human life, this is is Phillips, the human life of Christ on earth and his subsequent translation to heaven was just the beginning. But what a beginning. Now, I hope that all of you are really plugged in right here. Because what Phillips has to say right here is fantastic. Listen to what he says. But what a beginning. It was the beginning of one who had no beginning. Jesus was the eternal, self-existing, uncreated second person of the Godhead who existed before time existed, the one described by the Holy Spirit as the everlasting Father. His human life was the beginning of a new mode of living, one he will never relinquish through all the eternal ages yet to be. For now he has something he never had before, a battle-scarred and glorified human body in which he is now seated on his Father's throne on high. His incarnation was the beginning of a new kind of living. How about that? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has no beginning and no ending. And yet, when he became a man, he said in the book of Hebrews, a body hast thou prepared for me. Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me. Now, Jesus Christ came, took on a body, so that he could fight and win the battle over sin and death for us. That's what Jesus did. That's what he began. And it really was a new kind of living. What kind of living? The living of the perfect man. Jesus Christ lived a perfect and sinless life in a human body that was subject to all of the sickness, all of the frailties, all of the weariness, all of the pain that our bodies have. He goes on, Phillips goes on, He said, it was also the beginning of a new kind of doing. He went about doing good, it says in Acts 10.38. It was Peter's pungent summary of that life. Other good people have lived, but none like Jesus. Adam was good when God first made him. He was made in the image and likeness of God. He was intelligent, upright, and good. The crown of creation, Lord of the earth, 
one with whom God delighted to commune in the cool of the day. But Adam's goodness was the goodness of innocence. It was goodness untried. How long it lasted, we do not know, but it came to a sad end at the fall. But Jesus Christ came. Jesus is the second man. The Bible calls him the second Adam because the Bible says it this way, for as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, that's Adam. So then death passed upon all men for that all had sinned. But the apostle Paul goes on and he says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all live. That second Adam came. But not only that, Jesus, the second man, when he came, it was the beginning of a new kind of doing as well as a new kind of living, but it was also a new kind of teaching. And that's what we see in this book. So go back with me in Acts chapter 1. The former treatise, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, both to do and teach. So our model is Christ. So if, you know, and the Apostle Paul did say, follow me as I follow Christ. And as your pastor, I do often say, follow me. Okay, follow me to the fair. Follow us to camp. Follow. We do those types of things. But there's a life I want you to follow. And it's not mine. It's the life of Jesus Christ. Amen? We have a perfect model. And Jesus began something. He modeled by both doing and teaching. Now, here's the thing. As much as we would like, we cannot be Christ. Amen? How many of you are glad the salvation of the world does not depend on your behavior? It did, be, it did depend upon his behavior. Wow. So for us, we have two words that define what we do. It's faith and practice. What we believe determines what we do. What we believe, it defines what we do. Jesus, because of what who he was, it's what he began to do and teach. Jesus could teach who he was and what he was doing because he was perfect. We need to have that the other way around. Because of what we believe, because of what Jesus did and taught, then we know what we are supposed to do. That's what the book of Acts is about. The beginning of our story. Faith, what we believe. Practice, what we do. So the model is Christ. But there's a transition here. And we've talked about some of those transitions. The transition from the the Jewish law to the church epistles. We've looked at the difference between, or the transition from the Apostle Peter to the Apostle Paul. We've looked at the transition from Jerusalem, where they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, to Antioch, where they're sending people out, sending missionaries out. Those are the transitions, but there's another significant transition that I want you to see. In the Gospels, Christ was doing the preaching and teaching. Now in the book of Acts, Jesus is passing that responsibility on to the Apostles. And then the apostles pass that responsibility on to us. It's our job to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's our job for every, me- every member to be a minister. It's our job to tell people about Jesus Christ. And I want you all to think about something. The language that the young people were using. So when they talked about the carnal mind, when they talked about casting down imaginations... This language that our children are using, they have a full and complete understanding of what those sentences mean. Isn't that awesome? 
Do you want to know why they understand those things? Because they were taught. We have a modern Christianity that wants people to just be able to know things by osmosis, I guess. These things have to be taught. And how many of you adults would say that sometimes your mind gets out of control? Well, wouldn't it be good to learn some disciplines as a child to help you with those things? That's what happened at camp this week. That's what Nathan Browning was preaching about this week. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Well, praise God. This is That's what we need to do. We all have high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ. Now, what we need to do is we need to learn those things, and then we need to teach them to others. You see, this Christianity that we keep to ourselves is a worthless Christianity for humanity. It is a worthless Christianity for humanity. Well, I just like people to watch me and watch what I do. Do you know what they'll think? They'll think you're a good guy. So I'm sure Dan knew at work all of those years was a model of a godly man. He was a model of a hardworking man. It's so funny. Anyone who's ever had a chance to work with Dan, he's this meek and mild person until you work with him. Get this. Do this. Get this. No, that's not right. Pick that up. And it's so fun watching him as a godly man. But how many of you know lost men that are good, solid, hardworking men at their jobs? Y'all know people like that? So what has to happen is now Dan has to open his mouth and give the gospel. He has to open his mouth and tell people about his Savior, and then that life that he has been modeling matches what he has said. What's happening? Faith and practice. Jesus was do and then teach it. Model it and then teach it. We believe and then we live and then we teach. And if you miss the live, the teaching becomes a real problem. Amen? And so now what, what Jesus did was he handed the teaching to the apostles, and the apostles have handed it to us, and so this transaction is significant. Listen to what John MacArthur wrote. The burden of proclaiming repentance and the good news of forgiveness to a lost world will rest squarely on their shoulders. The apostles will also be responsible for teaching the truths of the faith to the church. So the model is Christ. The transition is significant from Christ doing the preaching and teaching to the apostles and then to us. But number three, this choice of the apostles, it's baffling. If you were going to pick guys to do it, you would not have picked those guys. Because at least four times Jesus says to them, O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith. My notes, the choice is baffling. I put these guys, really? Their faith was weak. Matthew 8, 26, O ye of little faith. Matthew 14, 31, O thou of little faith. So ye is the plural. All of them were faithless. O thou of little faith, that's when, that's when Peter was trying to walk on the water and stopped looking at Jesus and fell in. And Jesus said, O thou of little faith. And then he says again in uh, Matthew 16, 8, O ye of little faith. Luke 12, 28, O ye of little faith. So these men, they had really weak faith. How many of you, honestly, you'll be honest, that at certain points in your life, your faith gets pretty weak. Do you know when my faith is the weakest? When I'm not in God's word. When I'm not faithfully in church, when I'm not 
faithfully in God's word. That's when my faith is the weakest. Now, these guys were, these guys were actually walking and living with Jesus Christ, and their faith was weak. Why do you think that is? Well, number one, because they're people. And we people are frail, and Jesus was doing it all. Well, we say that Jacob, wherever he is, he's back there. He, how old was he before he started walking? Fifteen months old. He didn't need to walk because Lydia did everything for him. One of the hardest things in their lives was when Jacob realized he was actually allowed to have a will of his own. And it is interesting, when people do things for others, that's a good thing, right? But not when you do too much. If you do too much for them, they never learn how to do it for themselves. We all know that, right? That's the problem with welfare. That's the problem with all of that. You need to not feed people. You need to teach them to feed themselves. And what had happened was Jesus was with these men, and he was doing it all. And imagine comparing yourself to Jesus Christ. So we have young preachers. Aiden is studying to preach right now. I've been doing it for 30 years. So imagine if the requirement was for Aiden to be able to communicate the same way that a guy who's been doing it for 30 years has been doing it. Would that be discouraging? That'd be a tough deal to have to follow up. Not that I'm a great preacher. That's not, that's not the point. It's I've done it for 30 years, so I'm very comfortable up here. It's no problem. I could just go without even any preparation. Why? Because it's not a hobby, right? It's my job. It's what I do. But if I had to expect a young man to be able to do that who has not been prepared to do that yet... That's not fair. That's not the right thing to do. So it's like teaching somebody to throw a baseball or to pitch softball or throw a football, catch a football. The first time you try and do it, it's pretty bad. Right? But once you develop a certain type of skill, then it becomes much more easy. One of the things that we need to understand is that Jesus was establishing this. It had never been done before. The kind of preaching Jesus was doing, of course, the miracles, the perfection, that was something completely unique. But the message that he had given the disciples was something that was brand new, and they had to learn it. They had to grow. So, their faith was weak. They had failed Christ during his crucifixion. They all ran away except John. They had failed publicly, and they had failed in private loyalty and personal faith. So it's enough for one, sometimes when we're supposed to give a testimony for the Lord, and we know that we need to speak up for the Lord, and sometimes because of our timidity, we don't do that. And yet, internally, we still believe. How many of you have been in that exact situation? right? These guys had stopped believing. Not only had they failed to give the testimony, they had stopped believing. These are the guys that are going to carry on the message? These guys? Really? When Jesus appeared to them, he found them cowering in fear of the Jews, according to John twenty nineteen. The doors were shut for fear of the Jews. These are the guys that are going to turn the world upside down for Christ. Even though Jesus had said they were ready, and that's what John 17 is about. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That's what Jesus prayed to his Father. He said, I've given them the words, and they have received them. I have sent them into the world. Jesus said his men were ready. Do you want to know something? They didn't know they were ready. They didn't know. And can I, you know what I want to tell you? You are ready. Go tell somebody about Jesus. 
this week at the fair. Tell somebody about the Lord. If you are born again, and what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? Remember when Jesus said, he said, you must be born again. And the the man answered, he said, can I enter again into my mother's womb? No, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. How many of you were born? Okay, if you're not sure, I'll explain it to you later. All right, you were born. So born once, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So if you're born once, the Bible says that you're born in sin. The Bible says that we are all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. All have sinned. What does all mean? All means all, and that's all that all means. We are all sinners, every one of us. And the Bible in Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. What we have earned What we deserve for that sin is death in hell. Now, all of you Grace Baptist people, what are you supposed to be doing right now? What are you supposed to be doing right now? Praying. The wages of sin is death. What kind of death? The Bible calls it the second death. Revelation 21.8 says, but the fearful and unbelieving, and murderers, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and idolaters. Those sound like pretty bad people, right? And all liars shall have their place in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The wages of sin is death. All of us deserve to, first of all, die physically, and then to spend a Christless eternity in hell. That's what we deserve because we are sinners. And God is a holy and just God. In his perfection, in his absolute sinless and holy perfection, he is justified in sending all of us to that Christless hell. But Romans 5.8 says this, but God commendeth. He proved, he showed his love toward us In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He has come to visit his apostles. He's made a meal for them. And look at verse 46. Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. And now he's going to teach his disciples what they're going to do. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Ye are witnesses of these things. A witness tells something he has seen. And these men were witnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they were to preach that, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, it, it gives us a little bit more information. The, what is the gospel? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So when Jesus died on the cross, it was for our sins, not for any of his own. Is that right? He died for your sin. You see, religious people, 
and most of the people in our community are religious of some kind. Religious people believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus died for the world, he died for the sins of the world, and that he rose from the dead. But here's where the rubber meets the road. At some point, you have to recognize that he didn't only die for the world, he died for me. He died for you. It must become personal. He tasted death, the Bible says, for every man. Every man. That's you. And at some point, you have to receive that gift. Remember, I quoted Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Noah, come on up here. So I got this pen. This one's a Parker Duofold Centennial, if you were wondering what pen that is. So I want to make this pen a gift to Noah. Noah, I want to give this to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it, because it's a gift, right? But in order to keep it, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 20 years. Why'd you give it back? Because it's not a gift. Thank you, Noah. We all know what a gift is. And there are a lot of churches that teach that salvation is a gift that you have to work for. So you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, but you've got to come to church every week. You've got to take communion. You've got to get baptized. You've got to give. You've got to give in order. If you don't give your money, you can't go to heaven. You know, there are some churches that teach if you wear makeup, you can't go to heaven. Is that dumb? If you wear makeup, you can't go to heaven. No, it doesn't have anything to do with it. Right? Giving your money won't get you to heaven. Here's the way the Bible says it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It must be received as a gift. And then it even gives the opposite. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. By his mercy, he saved us. It's such a wonderful thing. For by grace, grace is a gift, are you saved through faith? How do you access that gift? By faith. You believe. You believe that his gift, that his sacrifice is enough. And that if you will receive that gift, he'll give it to you. But you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need the salvation. See, the Bible says it this way. For a righteous man, one would die. But for the unrighteous, for the sinner, only Jesus did that. Jesus died for you, and he died for me. So, he was going to spread his message. He gave that message to the apostles. Why would he give it to these weak, frail men? Uneducated fishermen, most of them. What? Why would he do that? Look at one last passage with me and we'll be done. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Don't forget, the message they were given is the message that I just gave you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Why would God trust me with this message? Yes, I can talk. That's about all I can do. I'm just one big mouth. that's, That's my ability is to talk. I'm not a good person. I'm not a kind person. I'm not even a diligent person. 
why would God call Jim Alter to give this message? Why would he do that? Here's why. Look at what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look at verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Remember I said you having your Christianity, if you keep it inside, it does nothing for the world. That's what this passage says. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So what's the answer? Believing. Believing. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves. Man, I don't preach Jim Alter. Praise God for that. But Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, verse 6. Look at this. Why would God choose these guys? Why would God choose me? For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Remember, let there be light has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And not of us. Those earthen vessels, what are the earthen vessels? So, you know, in pottery, you have really fancy pottery, and it's glazed, and it's beautiful. And some of that pottery can be very, very expensive. And then you just have those clay pots. They're made of clay. They're very cheap. They break easily. They're not really worth anything. They're not really worth anything. That's us. What were we? What did? What did God make Adam out of? The clay of the ground. He breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And what did God decide to do? Jesus Christ came to do and to teach. And then he handed it off to his disciples, who handed it off to us. And what are we? We are just earthen vessels. Why? So that when God does something special with our message, we don't get the glory. He gets the glory. Why did God choose these guys? Because those were the guys through whom he would get the glory. The Bible says not many mighty, not many noble are chosen. He does choose a few. The Apostle Paul was a very unique and special man, probably had the whole Old Testament memorized, one of the best educated and most brilliant men of his day. And then there was Peter, the fisherman, who was just ready to fight. And yet, what did God do at the day of Pentecost? He gave him one of the most amazing messages that's ever been preached. And we preach it today. Neither is there salvation in any other. Jesus Christ is the only way that we can get saved. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the Apostle Peter. Who got the glory then? God gets the glory. Jesus gets the glory. And what does God want to do? God wants to get glory through you as you receive the message. As we look at our model, Jesus Christ. We receive the message. We'll, we'll study here eventually when we get to Acts chapter 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So God gave them the teaching. He showed it to them. He demonstrated it. He taught it. They believed it. Then they taught it. We believed it. So now what are we supposed to do? Teach it. That was pretty weak. I'll start over. I'm threatening you guys. All right? They received it. Then they taught it. We've received it. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to teach it. Who are you going to tell this week about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? 
If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you might be a religious person. You might be a person that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, but are you believing in that alone? Have you asked Jesus Christ to save you? Are you born again? If not, let today be that day. Let today be that day. Now, how many of you, everybody look, everybody look up here. How many of you know how to show someone from the Bible how they can be saved? Do you know? Would you raise your hand? Hold your hands up. Don't put them down. Hold them up. If you're here and you've never asked Christ to save you, just go and talk to any one of these people that have their hand up. They'll show you how you can know for sure. Wouldn't it be great if somebody got saved today? Wouldn't that just be wonderful? Well, let me ask you this. How many of you, you are saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Hey, folks, we want you to join the club. We want you in. We want to be in heaven with you guys. I can't take you to heaven, but Jesus sure can. Amen? All right. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. I'm so thankful that you have chosen to use earthen vessels so that you would get the glory. And our question really is, these guys? Really, these guys? When the question ought to be me, really? You want to use me? The answer is yes.